turn in your Bibles to Luke 16. And out of this parable, I'd like to ask you a question. Can God count on you? Can God trust you? Let's turn that issue around. We're always asking, can I trust God? God might disappoint me. I'd like to ask the question the other way today. Can God count on you? The parable of Luke 16 is a remarkable parable. In fact, when you read it, you're going to say, why in the world would Jesus ever tell a story like this? But look at verse 1. He said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, a manager. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be my manager or steward. And the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And one said, A hundred measures of all. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Change the bill. And he said to another, How much do you owe a hundred measures of wheat? He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations." He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, on that basis, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. The value of this parable is that it strikes at the heart of our attitudes to money. It strikes at the heart of our perspective on earthly material mammon, which is probably good for us. You've had two stewardship mess messages in a row and two stewardship Sunday school lessons in a row. And that's not bad, two out of 52. One out of every 10 verses in Jesus' words in the New Testament have to do with our attitude towards money. Did you hear me? One out of ten. So every fifth sermon in this pulpit really ought to be about money. Amen? Every 
if 10% of 50 is five, one out of every fifth message ought to be about money. Amen? The IRS agent called a local church, said to the pastor, one of your members claimed that he gave $5,000 last year. I need to verify that. Can you tell me, did he really do it? And the pastor said, if he didn't, he will. <laughs> what is our attitude towards money? And there are four magnificent lessons that Jesus expresses in this parable that is not a parable by comparison, but it teaches its main lesson as a parable by contrast. Many parables, you learn the lesson by comparison. A certain sower went forth to sow. Jesus said the sower is this, the seed is the word of God. That's comparison. But this is a parable that primarily teaches its lesson by contrast. Here is a steward who learns that the master who owns everything he manages is on to him. And the manager says, I'm going to take your job away from you. I'm going to take your managership, your stewardship away from you. And the man says, what am I going to do? I'm going to call you to account. Or he said, I'm too weak to dig, and I'm too proud to beg. What shall I do? I know what I'll do. I'll go to every one of my master's um, uh, tenants, and I will have them change their bills so they will be indebted to me so that when I need them, they will owe me something and I'll, the last act of stewardship shall be one of cheating my master out of what is his, but putting the people in debt. Now you say, is Jesus encouraging cheating? No, that's not the point. Does Jesus applaud this man's actions? No, that's not the point. But Jesus does say, as the children of the world are shrewd in the way they use money, I wish the children of light could be as shrewd. Leads us to lesson number one. Lesson number one, the lesson of contrast. A Christian manager is to be wise in his generation. Look at verse 8. The master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Now remember, Jesus is teaching something to the Pharisees. For the sons of this world, he said, are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. The children of the world are more shrewd and more wise than the children of light. The master is commending shrewdness and wisdom and not wrongdoing. Well, you say, why would we... Why would he encourage his shrewdness of this sort? Now watch what the man did. First, he assessed the problem, verse 2. The master said, give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Turn in your books. Show me what is owed. Now the master in Jesus' day would be a man who had much land. He probably had olive vineyards and olive trees, and he had uh, vineyards for producing grapes. 
And uh, there was some kind of a percentage deal, usually, which the master would work. You farm these 10 acres of olive trees and give me 100 bushels of oil or the first 100 bushels of oil as rent on my land and on my trees. And the steward, the manager, was managing the olives and he was managing the grapes and he was managing the juice and he was managing the oil and he was managing the wine. And the master said to his manager, I'm calling in the books. I don't think you're doing well with what is mine that you are charged to manage. And so he assessed the problem. And then he had a plan. Verse 3, what shall I do? Look how wise he was. Folks, there's never anything wrong with budgeting and planning. People say to me, I don't want to make a commitment. I don't want my left hand to know what my right hand is doing. Folks, don't take that passage out of context. If your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, how do you know your left hand with the checkbook's got enough money to pay Duke Power when the right hand comes due? Jesus never said Christians ought not to plan. I picked up a magazine that said, I can, this man wrote an article this week. Bottom line, anybody here take bottom line? Did you see the article? Said $50 a month, I can make you a millionaire in 40 years. If everybody here will just follow this plan, you'll be a millionaire in 40 years on $50 a month. Well, you know what, Ken? I looked at that. I said, I probably won't live 40 years, but I might have five, so I'll just be an eighth of a millionaire. Amen? That'd be all right, better than what I am right now. And he showed how to plan and how to put away money and what to... No, Jesus never said a Christian should not plan. He commends this man's shrewdness, this manager's planning and shrewdness and stewardship and management. So first he assessed the problem in verse 2. And then he had a plan in verse 3. What shall I do? My master is taking the stewardship away from me. And here is his purpose, verse 4. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. I will put every one of them in debt. I am resolved. Here is my purpose. I will use my position to put the world in debt to me so that when everything is taken from me, there will be something stored up. There will be goodwill. These people will owe me something. A Christian manager is to be wise in his generation. Don't tell me, I never made much money, so I guess I'll have to get my portion in heaven. I like what Matthew Henry said. He said, remember, this world is your passage, not your portion. This world is your passage, not your portion. This world is not what all you have. God does have something else for you. And Jesus commends the believer who is a manager. I am a steward of my talent, my time, my money, of my opportunities. And he will call me to account for how I use my Sunday mornings, how I use my Saturday nights, how I use my home, how I use my car, how I use my money, how I use everything. I am his manager. He owns it all. You don't own anything. I have have some news for you. It is not yours. It is God's, and you're a steward, and you're a manager, and he will call you to account. That's the one of the first lessons of the parable. And so, if only we were 
we could learn that lesson of shrewdness in planning. You know, we told you last Sunday that financial counseling is available. I think you ought to plan. If you got eighteen, if you got five thousand dollars stuck up on eighteen percent interest credit cards, brother, and uh, uh, First National Bank of Kojo uh, Aloha sends you a credit card that'll guarantee you interest for six point nine percent. You can save uh, 11% just by cashing in that one card and sign that baby over there. Take that 6.9 as long as you can, right? Wouldn't you say, Bob, that's a good move? Get out of that 18% credit card. Be shrewd. Be wise. Start planning. Use carefully what God has given you. Don't throw it away and say, well, too bad. I guess God never intended for me to have anything here anyway. No, 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 no. Jesus never cut down wise, shrewd planning. He always commended shrewd, wise planning, even with things of this world. Actually, it really cuts at the heart of our attitude towards these things. If only we were as committed to our spiritual investments of life as we are to our earthly investments. We give 10 minutes to a quiet time and 17 hours to television and think we've done God a great favor. Four hours for golf and five minutes to tell our wife we love her. Seven hours riding the four-wheeler over a mountain pass in Allegheny County and complain about 30 minutes mowing the lawn. Well, a Christian manager is to be wise in his generation. I'll never forget what one of our laymen in this church told me years ago. He said, always borrow to buy things that are going up in value and pay for everything you can that's going down in value. That's pretty good advice. But most of us borrow on cars and they're going down as fast as they can go. You drive a new one out of there and it's down $5,000 in value. Even a Chevette's down $1,700. Do they still make Chevettes? They don't make them. Okay, well, whatever. What, give me an example. Uh, what, what's, a, what's a cheap Ford? An Escort. Even an Escort will go down $1,800 in value when you drive it away. And that's pretty good advice. Be wise. Be shrewd. Have you got a budget? Uh, look, I'm not a detail person. It's hard. Details are hard for me. One time, 11 years ago, I made everybody in our family for one solid year keep track of where every single penny went. I've still got the journal. And it was one of the greatest things I ever did. I found out where our money was going. I found out where the sieves were. Uh, who the sieves were. <laughs> I found out where the money was going. It was one of the greatest things. And after that, I was able to build a percentage. See, I'm not a, I don't like to run to my budget. See, if I got $11.33 left so I can buy some great jam at, at Harris Teeter, I, I just know I'm going to give at least 10% to the Lord. I'm going to try to save 10% and I'm going to make myself live on 80%. And if I can just live within that, I'll, I'll make it somehow. Wise, shrewd with the things of this world, Jesus said. Secondly, a Christian manager is to be wise then, not just for the generation, but with money. Now, what specifically is a lesson? Well, it's verse 9. And what specifically does that mean, wisdom with money? I say to you, make friends for, yourself, for yourselves through unrighteous mammon. Use your money in a way, invest your money in such a way that you are making friends 
that will reap dividends for eternity. The test of giving for the Christian is not how much did you make. The test of giving for the Christian is how much did you give away? What did you do with what you had? And see, that's what Jesus is commending. He says two things. First, make friends with your money. Give, do put others in your debt by giving to them when you see a need, when you see a problem. Make friends with them. That's what Jesus meant when he said at the judgment, I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. What he means is give and when you give, you invest with your money here and you put away riches in glory. You make friends for eternity. The Jewish rabbis had a great saying that went like this. The rich help the poor in this life and the poor help the rich in the life to come. What they meant was what you and I do with the poor in this life by learning to give will have a lot to do with how God treats us in heaven in eternity. What I do here does determine eternity. And that leads us to the second thing in this parable. God has given us the marvelous capacity to transform earthly money into heavenly returns. That's why Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves on treasure where moths corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, how do you do that with earthly money? How do you do that? How can you take a $5 bill and get a heavenly investment? The answer is faith. I give by faith, trusting that God will make an investment that I'll reap eternal dividends with in glory in heaven. Giving to missions, and I help to pay a missionary salary, and he leads people to Jesus Christ, or he builds a church in a faraway country, and people are saved, and that church goes on till Jesus comes back with money, with unrighteous mammon. I have transformed money into something that is permanent and lasting and eternal. Now think back on the way you and I spent our money last week. How much of your money... Did you give in such a way that by faith, by trusting God to do the transforming, you saw earthly mammon transformed into eternal investment? <laughs> you know, when you read the great chapter of faith in Hebrews 11, the Bible is very clear that Abraham never saw everything God ever promised to him. So we live by faith. I invest by faith. Once I give my tithes to the Lord this week, I've got a check right over there in my Bible and nobody came up to collect it, so I still got it, but I'll give it in a second. Here it is. There's my card. There's my, there's my check. There's my offering envelope. And once I give that, I give that by faith that the Lord will take that and in His way, because I'm giving to a church that I love and I trust, managed by people and men and women that I love and I trust, I give that. And though I might never see the eternal rewards here, I take earthly mammon and it's transformed into eternal investments. That's what Jesus is commending. That's why Jesus said, this man is wise. Commenting on the rich young fool, Ambrose said, the bosoms of the poor, the houses of widows, and the mouths of children are the barns which last forever. Did you hear that? 
the, the bosoms of the poor, the houses of widows, and the mouths of children are the barns which last forever. So the rich young fool was just piling up his treasure. There's no eternal investment in that. It's how you use your money that gives God a chance to transform earthly mammon into heavenly reality. And the more you give, the more you sow in this life, the more you reap in the life to come. Uh, well, somehow we've lost in the last 50 years in this country the concept of consequences. We try to save our children from consequences. We try to save our people from... We try to guilt-proof everybody and everything. But folks... Don't save your children from the consequences of their actions. One of the truest things about the economy of God is that I am investing with my time and money every day here on earth and will reap it in glory. I may never reap it all here. Give and it shall be given unto you. God will take care of your needs, but you have no idea what he's put away for you in glory. That's where it shall be given to you in measure you have no idea about. I can hardly wait to see what happens to the $20 bill I gave to that hungry homeless man over there at Parkway Plaza. I can hardly wait to see what will happen with a $5 bill that I gave. I can hardly wait to see what hap will happen to the college student that I knew was having a hard time and I had a hundred extra dollars and gave it to him. I can hardly wait to see what God's going to do with a woman named Nell who when I couldn't pay my first freshman bill at Bible college gave me a hundred dollars so I could take the exams and she will reap eternal rewards because she has a stake in everything God ever does in my life and she'll get it in glory if she never got it here. Man died and on his way into heaven St. Peter said I'd like, I'd like for you to see something and he took him in and there in heaven was a big pot of stew and everybody in their new resurrected bodies had arms that had spoons, big spoons on the end. And their arms were so long and the spoons were so long they couldn't feed each other. But he said, now come on down to hell. Uh, and they couldn't feed themselves. He said, come on down to hell. But everybody in heaven was well. He got down to hell. He said, look, everybody was starving in hell. They were standing over the big pot of stew with their long arms, with the spoons on the end. And the spoons were so long, they couldn't get them turned around to get the spoons in their mouths and feed themselves. So they just died. He said, let me go back to heaven. I want to see why everybody's doing so well there. When they got back to heaven, everybody was well fed. And what was the difference, class? In heaven... The spoons were the same size, the arms were the same size, but they fed each other. And so everybody was well fed. And in hell, everybody was starving. And the difference evidenced by faith in Jesus Christ is our attitude. We don't try to keep things just for ourselves. We give them away and make investments for eternity. There's a third lesson Jesus has in this parable in verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, 
If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Here's the third lesson. A Christian manager is to be faithful in the least. Now, if you think in terms of quantity, that's, a very, that's an important principle in God's, in God's economy. Quantity. We go from few things to many. I go from five talents to ten talents, two talents to four talents when I invest it. I start with little and I wind up with much. That is quantitatively the message. Whoever is faithful with a little can probably be trusted with much. Have you ever wondered why God didn't give you more than he's given you? Have you ever wondered why God doesn't start you out at the top of the company? What if instead of winding, starting out as janitor for Sarah Lee and winding up as chairman of the board, has that ever happened? It's happened with some companies. What would happen if we started out at 21, fresh out of college, as chairman of the board and wound up as janitor? You know why that doesn't work? Because if you started out at 21 as chairman of the board, there wouldn't be any company to hire you as janitor by the time you were done. Right, John? That's the way it would be. It's God's way. It's God's way. We start with a few things, and if we prove that we're faithful with little, then he gives us more. And qualitatively, the same thing is, is true. Jesus is saying, if, you're, if you can't be faithful in the things of temporal earth, like money, why would you expect God to trust you with eternal riches? Somebody said to me the other day, when we get into the millennial reign, how will God determine who's mayor and who's sweeping the streets in the new administrations? The answer is what you do now. How do you handle things in this realm? Whoever is faithful in temporal things, God says, I'll give you eternal things. That's the test. Constant emphasis on using God's funds to win souls to Jesus, to build local churches, to give a cup of water in Jesus' name, to feed the hungry, to see that the ministry of God is supported. What we do here determines what quality of trust God has with us there in eternity. There's a fourth lesson we ought not to ignore in this found in verse 12. If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? I find that an intriguing question. The fourth lesson is this. The Christian manager is to be faithful with the Lord's money. You are a steward. What you have is not your own. Your bank account, that's not your own. The Social Security money, that's not your own. The retirement money is not your own. You say, oh, yes, it is. I earned it. You did? Where did you get the strength to earn it? Who opened the door for you to have the job? See, we would probably say, if you can't be faithful with what you have, why would anybody else trust you with what they have? God's question is different. He says, if you can't be faithful with another man's, why should God trust you with anything? Now, the emphasis here is that everything in life is a stewardship. Every, none of us has anything when we come into this world. 
and everything is a stewardship. So we don't start out with something that is ours and prove to God we can manage it. We start out with something that already belongs to God. And God's rule is, if you can't manage what is mine, why should I give you anything of your own? I can remember in Moses Cone Hospital when I held Steve in my arms. I thought of it today when I was over there. You know, they wouldn't even let me within 75 feet of the delivery room back in, in uh, 61. That's 1961. Isn't it amazing what to do? Today the nurse says, oh, come on in. You want to go right into the delivery room? Yeah, here's the suite. Where's the baby going to be born? Right here. Where? Right there. Right there. You want to stay in here? No. I don't want to stay in here. And I thought of that this morning when they brought Dr. Schweitzer over in Greensboro. I'll never forget him. After about two hours, he said, well, now I think if you're sure you don't have any germs, I'll bring him out and let you see him. And they brought this little red bundle of skin. He looked like a man 106. He should already have been drawing Social Security 10 years. And they said, this is your son. I said, my son? And you know, I'll tell you, the wave that came over me was, I am responsible for this boy. That's the first thing that hit me. I'll never forget that. I am responsible. Do you see the question? If you have not been faithful in what belongs to God's, what is God's, why should God give you anything else? Why should God let you have anything of your own in eternity? And the question is a serious question. The question is not what to do with the tithe. It's what to do with everything I own. I'm not just going to answer whether I tithe. I'm going to answer how I saved, how I used money, what I did with the house I bought, what I did with the car I bought, what I did with the money in my pocket when I saw somebody who had a need. Because I'm going to be accountable. Verse 2 the master calls the steward to account. And again in verse 13, the question is, what do we do with everything else? I'll never forget when I was in Bible college and I heard R.G. Letourneau give his testimony. And he told about tithing 90% and living on 10%. And I thought, that's wonderful. Wonderful, I'll ever make enough money to do that. You wondering about the answer to that question? The answer is no. <laughs> of course, then I found out he made $4 million, Tom, and I figured you could probably live pretty well on 10% of $4 million in a year. Amen? How many like to try? <laughs> but I don't know. If you had $4 million a year, what would you do? Would you give 10% of it to yourself for your living expenses and give 90% away? I don't know. And Jesus asked a serious question. What are you doing with the rest of what I've trusted you with? With the olive trees and the grape trees and the vineyard and the oil and the juice and the wine. What are you doing with it? How are you using it? One day in chapel service, I called little Kristen Miller up to the platform and gave her three bucks. She had a chance to invest it. You know what she did? She went out and bought some goods to make cookies. And then she sold the cookies and she made enough money to pay me back my three bucks and to have two bucks over, I believe it was two dollars over, to give to the Lord. 
That's stewardship. Amen? <laughs> That's stewardship. The $3 was mine. But she used it to produce something else. Now, that's the question God asks of every one of us out of this parable. What are you doing to invest in the lives of others, to love them in Jesus' name, to reach them with a gospel, to see them saved, to see them discipled, to see them build up so that you stash away eternal investments? What are you doing with what is God's here? Because that will determine what God gives you of your own in the world to come. And he closed by saying you can't serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You know what he's talking about? God and money. And the grave danger for the Christian is that we get so wrapped up with money that we put money on the same plane as God. Or we get so wrapped up in serving the Lord, we put service on the same plane as God. Or we get so wrapped up in some activity, we put that on the same plane as God. Jesus said you can't do it. No man can serve two masters. And that's what made the Pharisees mad. He was saying you made a God of money. And money is never your God. It is God's trust to you. Can God count on you to manage what he gives you? Are you using your money to lay up treasures in heaven? Or are you using it all to lay up treasures on earth? Is there anybody that you've ministered to with money who in heaven will say, there it is, God. He's the one. She's the one. She did this for me. And God says, well done. That's terrific. Boy, look at the reward you've got in glory. Can God count on trusting you with that house, those children, that income, those gifts, the 53 years of life he's given you, the 21 years of life you have left? That's really the question. And one of the great joys of coming every week to the Lord's house and giving is to be reminded that what I do with temporal money here determines partly what my reward will be in glory. And I want more than anything else to hear the words of the master say, well done. Well done, David Wright. You've done well. Well done, Bob Tannehill. Well done. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So I want to challenge you to go back and see how you're using everything. Forget tithing. How are you spending the rest of what God has trusted in your hand. One final word. When it comes to the gospel, life is a trust, as a stewardship. And what God has placed in you is a heart that can choose to serve Jesus or not to, to serve him. To follow Jesus or not to follow him. To obey Jesus or not to trust him or not to trust him. And you have only one shot. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, there's the accountability. You'll answer for what you've done with your life. That's why Christ died, to give you a chance. Let's stand in prayer. Our Father in heaven, make us as born-again children of light to be shrewd and wise 
good stewards of everything you put into our care. And remind us that we're to make friends. We're to invest in eternity. We transform earthly mammon into heavenly reward by faith when we give and trust you for the result. And would you remind us that this money is not ours. What we have in our pockets right now is not ours. What is in our purse this moment is not ours, it's yours. And you're going to call us to account for how we use everything, time, talent, and money. And Lord, if there's anybody here who's never been saved by the blood of Jesus, I pray that you'll call them to yourself. Don't let Jesus' blood be without purpose. As they respond to the gospel, convict them of their need in Jesus' name. Amen.